the core premise, the core idea that shaped Create New Futures, John, was that I recognized, well, I asked leader, what is the highest point of leverage that you have? And some very smart leaders will say that the highest point of leverage for a senior executive or for a CEO is that they get to make the resource allocation choices. In essence, they decide where to spend the the financial and, and human capital. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. What is the one thing you do that contributed more than anything else to your success? This is one of the questions that John Nestor asked me on his Hack the Entrepreneur podcast interview. This is Aviv, and on this episode of Create New Futures, we bring you, with John's permission, his conversation with me. John asks some great questions. And, for example, he got me to describe the three decisions that shaped my journey. I don't believe I've ever spoken about this in public before this exchange. You can find other fascinating conversations with John on his Hack the Entrepreneur podcast. And so for now, without more ado, here is John's interview with me. We are back with another episode of Hack the Entrepreneur. And today we have a very, very special guest, Aviv. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, John. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. And you're the first interview of 2018, which is also really exciting for us. But uh, what do you say? Should we jump into this? Absolutely. Let's dive in. Aviv, can you tell me, as an entrepreneur, what is the one thing that you do you feel has been the biggest contributor to your successes so far? Right. So, John, I have to break it into two parts. What is the, what is the one thing that I do with my clients and for my clients, and what is the one practice that I engage in by myself? 95% of my business is referral, based on referrals and repeat business, and some clients continue to work with me over more than a decade with multiple uh, large projects. We're talking often six figures projects. So if you said, what is the one thing that make them come back to me again and again and also refer their executive friends and say to them, you've got to work with Aviv is is different. First of all, I stay in touch. I stay in the conversation. I cultivate deep relationships. I'm interested in their success, in their journey. I ask questions free of the the immediacy of what I will get from it. I'm genuinely and passionately interested in their success and in their journey. And then there is what happens when we actually work together. When I lead their teams through a workshop, a strategy effort, and clients often describe that experience to me by saying, you know, we have received or we have achieved three months of progress in terms of agreements, in terms of decisions, in terms of just accelerating where we want to be and where we need to be. We've done three months work or output in two and a half, three days. 
In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, I, I led a session for a senior team in a Fortune 50 company. And when I debriefed that workshop with a senior leader, he said to me, I've been around for more than 30 years in corporate America, and I've been to hundreds of strategy and leadership sessions, and I've never experienced anything like that. And I said, well, it's gratifying and I'm flattered, but can you be specific? Can you tell me what was it about the experience that made it so differentiated for you? And he said, look, first of all, you're very much invested in us. You're reading the group, you're re reading the energy, and you, you have your a finger on the pulse, and you're playing jazz with a session. And then you bring to us exactly the, the kind of insights and frameworks that we need to help us reframe and look in you at our challenges. And then you give us new language. And not only that, you reframe and build on what we bring to the table. So the compound impact is extraordinary. And because of that, not only did we exceed what I hoped was possible, we actually exceeded what anything I've ever experienced before, I said. Wow. So the answer to your question, the one thing I do, I'm genuinely deeply interested in the people I work with holistically in a, in a deep and meaningful way. And I build trusting relationships. And then the, the kind of modality and set of experiences that I choreograph in our collaboration dramatically accelerates their desired future and their vision. So that's in terms of what I do with clients. If you said to me, John, what's the one thing I do by myself? I'll have to say it's that I treat every day, the first hour of every day as sacred. I'm often up at five, 5.30. That's when I do my writing and when I engage in the kind of centering practices that I've been developing and building over many years. And I really set the tone and the, the mental space I need to be in for that day. And everything else flows from that. Wow. That's impressive. The 5 a.m. start and then making that one hour sacred to, I guess, accomplish the things that you really want to focus on, like creative output as writing or such. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So to go back a bit to this referrals, because this, this idea that 95%, I think you said, of your customers come from referrals? Yeah, probably 99. <laughs> 99. That's, that's fascinating to me. And so this idea of staying in touch being your one thing, do you have a system in place, Aviv, like to stay in touch with previous clients? Or is it just kind of when you think about it? Oh, I have a, a simple old-fashioned Excel with the people that I stay in touch with, that I work with. And I have a, a ritual with my son, who is now the CEO of his own <laughs> early stage company. And we meet every week on Sunday. And we talk about his business and, and we then talk about my business and, and he holds me accountable and, and we go through the list and we determine some of the important actions and activities I need to engage in that week. So we, it's a whole other 
dimension in terms of conversation, but I, I've always wanted that my relationship with my son will transcend a father-son relationship and will evolve into two adults on a journey. And I have succeeded in doing so to this point. So we are still in that conversation and engaged in this Sunday ritual. Nice. I like that. And so you get the Sunday ritual with him. You guys get to advise each other on what points you should be focusing on and engaging in. You use a simple spreadsheet to deal with past clients and to kind of keep track of who you've discovered or talked to. Do you like directly ask for referrals? I want to, I really want to understand how somebody gets, especially at like a high price tag, how for your services, how do you attain 99% like from referrals? That's amazing. And I know people listening are like, how do I do that? <laughs> right. Well, so that's part of the strategic determination to uh, focus on the large enterprise type clients, where first of all, in any Fortune 100 companies uh, type company, you have many internal executives that can hire a service like the one I offer. And so it's easy for people when they experience tremendous value to want to refer you to their peers, especially when we are able to create a conversation that not only will it help the company, but it will also help them in their role because it happened to be a function or a business unit that they are interfacing with. So often it's very organic growth and one thing leads to another. That is what is called internal uh, referral. But I do also will not be shy in asking a client that I've worked with sometime halfway through the project or towards the end of the project, look, uh, who on, you, on your network do you know that will enjoy the kind of trustful and trusting collaboration like the one you and I are developing and who should we develop a conversation with and more often than not people will volunteer the kind of friends and people on their network that they think genuinely will benefit from the same transformative value right and so now aviv consulting right it's over 17 years i think you had a name change somewhere in there but it's been a company for 17 years that you've been running is this correct? Correct. Correct. Right now, your, I guess, I'm going to call it your tagline. You probably have a better term for it, but it's helping senior executives create new futures. Where, where did it start 17 years ago? Like how specific of a client did you have when you started? Because now you have a very, very specific target, but I'm assuming that's evolved over time. Right. So perhaps the the better place to begin is to trace even further back and then capture the, the moment in time that you're asking about. When I, so when I reflect on the, what is it, say 18 through 22, 23, which is the time I was serving in the Air Force. And just before that, from, from the end of high school, say, to the, the Air Force service, I made three important decisions in my life. The first decision was that I determined that life was purposeful, that, that I am purposeful, that you're purposeful, that 
that life has a purpose and that because of that, the first thing that I need to do is to find what my purpose is. And therefore, I earlier on found that my purpose will be to help other people find and articulate their purpose. And the the second decision that, that I made was that I didn't like what I saw in terms of how people live their life. They often uh, joined the, the rut race and they spent the first 20, 25 years of their life trying to chase money, success, fame, stature, all those things. And then if they were very successful, they will look to reverse the focus and contribute and ask the bigger, more important, say, questions of life about purpose and meaning and all that. And I said, no, I want to reverse the flow. And I would like to ask the bigger questions earlier in life and dedicate my 20s and, and early 30s to that. And that's exactly what I've done. And in doing so, I've also determined that I was going to believe and trust Marcus Aurelius, who said that you become what you think about. Also framed later as a teacher of mine said, you are the author of your own portrait. So in other words, those things you focus on you become, not not literally in the sense of if you decided to care <laughs> for horses, you will become a horse, but you will become the, the focus by knowledge, by experience, and you will attract to yourself and build around yourself by cosmology the kind of things that you essentially believe in, believe in and, and care for very much. And so, and what I essentially said was, I will do that and I will let the material question and the success question flow from that. And that's exactly what happened. And so there was a time in my journey when I shifted from that focus and the natural area to transition into was helping leaders. Because I said, I wanted to touch people that can touch many other people and make that experience meaningful. And that led me into working with top talent and working with leadership teams. And I, there was a time I led for the AMA, the American Management Association, the top leadership class. It was called Executive Effectiveness. And one day, and this, by the way, is in Create New Future, in the book, I actually share the story because it was one of those moments where a, what I describe as a window of opportunity presented itself and you need to recognize the window and actually embrace it and, and walk through it. And there was a senior executive from Hewlett Packard that came to this meeting, Sam, his name. And at the end of that five day retreat type session where people work to define and articulate the core passion in life, their passionate purpose and articulate the key values that will lead the leadership style and leadership focus. He said to me, can you HP this for me? And I didn't know what he meant, but I knew there was only one answer <laughs> to that question. And, and the answer was, yes, of course. What do you, how do you mean HP this for me? He said, well, can you do the five days in two and a half? To which, of course, there was only one answer. I said, yes, and it will be a better experience because I will be free to choreograph and design my own experience free of the constraints of the AMA parameters. And one thing led to another. Three or four weeks later, I met with his team and I word got out and I started to work with many teams at HP 
And what do you know? It's now 14 or 15 years later, and I'm still working with teams now in the two separate companies, the, the HPE and HP. So that was one moment that led me into that direction. And as my practice evolved, it shifted from focusing on leaders and on talent to people said, can you do this profound magical thing you do with us, but also help us solve business problems? And I said, sure, let's do that. And I essentially learned by practice how to lead and create experiences that will dramatically accelerate the, the kind of strategies, breakthrough strategies that people were looking to articulate. But I, what I mean by that is more than just, you know, a nice slide deck with with few bullet points that describe the strategy. How do you actually mobilize an integrated movement in the company, in the organization that will bring the strategy to life? What will be the way to concretize that strategy? And then how do you dramatically accelerate the kind of innovation innovation that you need to see? So all that came out of simply trial and error and, and experience and learning through my work with clients. Trial, error, and there was one thing, you said it twice in there that really, really stood out to me, which was there's only one answer to that question. <laughs> that's right. And I, I love that. That's to me is the entrepreneurial mindset because we, we never know how to do something or the answer to something until we do it and figure it out. But we don't necessarily have to say yes to something once we've figured it out. We can say yes and then figure it out. That's exactly right. Is this something that you do like often in your life or in business? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I share, I share many such examples in, in Create New Futures. And you're absolutely right. It is the entrepreneur's mindset. It, it is this idea of saying yes. And I describe in the book something that I call the mental bungee jump. And it's the idea of also saying yes intellectually to a challenge and then discovering how you will resolve the riddle that you created for yourself. And likewise, in terms of developing your practice and essentially saying yes to projects that you don't even know yet how you will address. And a lot of the IP and the material that I've developed over the last 15, 20 years was essentially that, John. I said yes to something that I, have, I did not have a full ready-made answer. A bit like Bill Gates sold an operating system before he had one. And then he is, as you know the story, he went and, and purchased a half-baked <laughs> operating system and improved it. So I, I thought if, if that was good enough for Bill Gates, it sure is good enough for me. I love this conversation right now about projects. And I want to move to this if we can. So saying yes to the idea of to your IP and to projects, saying yes before you have a full-blown idea around it, that's like well and good. But say something like Create New Futures, the book. It's a huge undertaking to write and publish a book, which you did. So a project like that, Aviv, what like process do you go through or what metrics are you trying to accomplish by undertaking a huge project like writing and publishing a book? Right. So any other project would be different, but specifically to that, my brief for myself was I can't read most of business books. I find them generally boring. 
and or too prescriptive. So I didn't want to write another boring book that will just have the five steps to do that or the the seven or eight steps to do something else. So what I decided was, first of all, I will create something that's authentic, that comes out of my experience, and there will be some autobiographical elements, and I will share tremendously rich information, and I will not hold back. That was decision number one. And decision number two was that I wanted for people to be able to open the book at any page and read that one page or two pages and be able to extract value and put the book down and do something with it. And to free people up from this idea that they need to read the book chronologically. So that that essentially is how I went about the business of writing the book. And that's why it is framed with series of portals and anybody can open anywhere and read that one page or, or one paragraph. And if there was an idea that sparked for them, then based on my very strong and powerful conviction about adult learning, what you want to do is then put the book down and move along the four stages of adult learning because you just got stimulated with an idea, now validate stage two, that idea for yourself and its meaning, and then move to stage three of of that four-stage cycle by running water through the pipes. Begin to practice that idea right here, right now, in this hour, right when that idea was triggered for you. And if you're happy with the kind of success and results you get in the next day or two or three, in the way you you deploy your early implementation of that idea or practice or mental model, then begin to teach it to every other person in your life. Because only when you do that, do you really create the kind of commitment that uh, is critical if that practice or mindset will make a difference. So I wrote a book to stimulate that type of transformative experiences, transformative learning for people. Wow. And was it written for your ideal client or was it written for somebody else? Yeah, great question. It was written to three audiences. It was written to my current client. Number one, senior executive, Fortune 50 company or or a CEO in a mid-sized company. It was written to the young generation of entrepreneurs and the CEOs of tomorrow's And the third audiences that it was written for is the consultants, the coaches, the people that hope to be able to do what I am doing. There are many people that aspire to publish a book to get to do the work I'm already doing. So I did not need to publish the book to make that my, if you like, my entry point to senior executives consulting projects in uh, large companies. I wanted to do something beyond that, and and I hoped to create something that would help coaches, consultants, still, (laughs) and take those ideas and implement in their ways. Nice. So three different potential people. I mean, your existing clients and then the younger generation can eventually become your existing sort of clients. They just they're young right now and not as experienced. Indeed, with indeed with an with a focus even more so on on so like my son and uh, many of his friends, the CEO of, of entrepreneurs like companies that you are often interested 
in and interview the people that will become serial entrepreneurs. They will sell a company. They will not necessarily follow and stay. Some will, but not all. Some will not stay in the company to become a very large company. They will sell their startup at some point with in one kind of an exit scenario or another and will move to the next exciting adventure. Yeah, and I wanted to reach out to these people too. I like how you have specific people in mind. It sounds like when you were writing it, like you said, your son and friends that he has like him. So you could literally, you know what they need. You know what they need to sort of create their new future and you could teach them. And obviously, you know your clients like amazingly well, so you could do the same thing. I think the most successful authors have a persona, somebody in mind. It's either somebody they actually know or they configure some kind of an archetypal persona that they write to. And, and some of the most successful authors also in, in the fiction category, that's how they work. So I recognize that the more focused, the more targeted we are, in the same way, in terms of your business, the clearer you are about who your ideal buyer, ideal client is, the more focused, the more targeted you can be and the likelihood, the, the, the chances of success. And before we get too far away from it, in there you mentioned, I think, the four stages of adult learning. I've never heard of this before. Like this sort of, I guess it's separation of like how we learn at different stages of our life. Usually we just, we either learn or we don't, is how I think we think about it. So what is this exactly, this, this idea of, like, is it that we learn differently as we age? It's such an important question, John, because... The toddler way of learning, those very early ages, all the way to, say, four, five, seven, and then even into, say, age 11, 12, but certainly the early ages, at that stage, the toddler enjoys almost 100% brain plasticity. And I remember my son in that age, and I always felt that if I could just put my ear next to his head, I could almost hear the 3D printing that was going on in his brain, in every toddler's brain, in terms of how they internalize the, the cosmology of experience and the environment and the adult way of behaving around them and, and nature and everything, just that way of sucking the environment around them. But that's the toddler kind of learning experience. When you look at a, at a 20-year-old and certainly at a 30, 40, 50-year-old, we already show up with a some kind of a default or chosen topography of the world, our map of meaning and, and what do we believe is important and, and what do we believe we care about and the kind of mindset that guides us. And so for adults, I always find that the most meaningful learning is what I call my 90-10 rule for adult learning. And the 90-10 rule for adults is, can I share with you an insight or a practice that will enable you, when, by internalizing that practice, to reconfigure the 90% of what you already know? You already have 90% of good practices and good knowledge and all that enabled you to get to this point. And I'm not here to replace the full hard drive that you have because you've been extremely successful. What I'm here for is to offer the, those golden nuggets, the 10% in, 
inside the 10% uh, practice that will enable you to reconfigure everything you already know in just a new context. And because of that, raise the bar of everything you do and play an even bigger game. And the way we do that, the way for you to internalize such a practice is to go through the four stages of adult learning, which I elaborated on before. It's you receive the new knowledge, you you understand and validate the new knowledge, you put it to practice by application, and then you commit to own that practice or mindset and teach it to everybody in your life. Fascinating way to look at it. The fact that we already have 90% of the knowledge or the content, I guess, that we need to succeed because it's got us to where we are, but we need to reassess sort of the context that we approach that content. Yes. Fascinating. Such an interesting way to look at it. And you're right. Like with little kids, it's just, they're just taking everything in because it's a first experience every day for almost everything they do. And with us old folks, it's not like that. Right. And, and what I have found was that if I am to truly be a transformative catalyst to the people that I work with, we have to find a way to increase the amperage, increase the voltage of the conversation. I mean, the core premise, the core idea that shaped Create New Futures, John, was that I recognized, well, I asked leader, what is the highest point of leverage that you have? And some very smart leaders will say that the highest point of leverage for a senior executive or for a CEO is that they get to make the resource allocation choices. In essence, they decide where to spend the the financial and, and human capital. And I say it's a great answer, but there is one higher level of leverage that you have. And when we continue that riddle, we finally come to the discovery that as a senior leader or as a CEO, you get to shape the conversation. You get, as the senior leader, to shape the conversation agenda, which means you have to ask, are we in the right conversation or is there a more important, more critical conversation that we have to be in? And if we are in the right conversation, are we approaching this conversation in, in the most effective way, or should we approach it differently? And so what I'm looking to do when I coach, when I consult, when I lead sessions that are essentially designed to create transformative ROI for those senior teams I am there to create a learning and transformative experience for each of the individuals present, for them as a team to get to discover each other and and see who they are and how they can be and operate at a whole new level, and then ultimately and most critically, impact the business outcomes that they are there to create. If I need to achieve that kind of an outcome, I have to instigate and engender new kind of learning, new transformative mental model that will catalyze people to see their life and their work in new ways. I love it. And speaking of conversations, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this one, Aviv. It's been really, really good. And I would like to wrap up on one final question for you, if I could. Sure. It's this idea I'm working with. It's from Dan Sullivan, The Entrepreneurial Gap. I've interviewed nearly 400 entrepreneurs 
now. And there seems to be this theme where we are always, as dreamers, entrepreneurs, we're pushing into the future. We're looking ahead constantly. And also, we, no matter what we seem to accomplish, we tend to put our personal successes into the future, meaning that in one month when you stand on that stage or in six months when you hit that revenue metric or land that client, whatever it happens to be, you and I both know that seconds before you hit that goal, there's new bigger ones into the future. I agree we need to look forward, but it's walking towards the horizon and it always gets further away. So rather than looking ahead, I would love it, Aviv, if you could stop, turn around and look behind you. I mean, through high school, through the Air Force, through moving yourself and your family to America in the early 90s, through 17 years in business. I'm sure there's been highs, lows, wins, and losses. But can you tell me how you feel about this whole journey until today? Yes, absolutely, John. I First of all, to the premise of your question, you're absolutely right, and especially you're right if you embrace the, the kind of uh, framework that I use, which is looking at successive horizons of the future and working backward. And I, I appreciate that you're saying at this point in time, can we turn and look back. And when you ask me to turn and turn around and look back, the question that it triggers for me is that you, you cause me to ask, what are the measures of a life well lived? And when I need to reflectively address that question, I'll give you a, a brief but a five-fold answer to this question. Because the first measure for me of a, of a life well lived is when I ask myself, do I feel intact? Do I feel decent and clean in myself? Do I feel comfortable in my own skin? Have I measured up to my own sense of integrity? And my answer is yes, absolutely, I do. I feel physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and financially intact. So, and I don't take this for granted. I, I'm totally grateful for the many people in my life that have enabled me to, at this point in time, be able to make a statement like that. The second measure for me of a life well lived is, am I present? Have I practiced being present and aware to the situations that I've found myself in? And I have to admit on this one that I've, I have not been perfect. But in the bigger picture, the bigger sense, I would say, yes, I, I do and I have, even if it has been imperfectly in, in a number of occasions. So, and I see that there is more opportunity for me to improve this one. The third measure for me is growth. Am I learning? Am I growing? And I've made essentially learning my, my business and my practice and made a career out of that. And I feel that I'm still learning every day and my projects are successful when I learn from the people I work with at least as much as they learn from me. And I feel great about being at this point able to say I learned so much. I've always wanted that to be my biggest legacy. When Idan, my son, was our son was six years of age, I said to myself, the most important legacy I can have is not that, you know, he will think that I'm very smart or very wise or even what I've accomplished, but that he would be able to say my dad was a work in progress when he was in his 30s and his 40s and now in his late 50s and into his 60s and 70s later, he was always a work in progress. He never felt like he arrived. And for me, that's, that's a powerful measure of success. And 
And I quickly will close on the, the next one, which is, am I contributing? Do I live a surplus life? Have I taken more from this world or have I generated and contributed a greater return? And John, we can never speak authoritatively on this one because we touch people in all sorts of ways and we don't always know the ultimate answer. But all I know is I have worked very hard and continue to work hard to turn every situation I step into a little more aware, a little more enlightened, a little more effective, a little more aligned and collaborative, a little better. So I, I hope I am making the, the kind of contribution. And finally, have I loved? Fifth measure, have I loved and have I been loved? Have I brought joy to the people I love? Have I experienced joy? I did and I do and I am and I'm ever so grateful. Beautiful answer. I'm always a work in progress. I like that. I like that a lot. Yes. So, Aviv, throughout the conversation, we've got to talk about your work, about your workshops, about your book. Could you now specifically tell the listener where they can track you down online and what specifically you can do for them? They can find me at avivconsulting.com and on LinkedIn by my name, Aviv Shahar. It's A-V-I-V-S-H-A-H-A-R. And they can surely find on the website the book page, Create New Futures, and they can also find on Amazon the printed and the digital and the audio version that I narrated myself. And they can also catch up if they listen to your wonderful and exciting podcast show. We are, we've just launched last year, so they can also listen to the Create New Futures podcast conversations that I generate and I will uh, welcome any contact and any help I can provide. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be happy to develop a conversation. Excellent. Excellent. Avivconsulting.com is the main site. You can get the book there and the podcast as well, Create New Futures. I will also link to Create New Futures on Amazon for you if that's where you would like to grab your books from. And then LinkedIn if you want to connect with Aviv and see what else he is up to. I will link to all that in the show notes for you so it's there whenever you are looking for it. Aviv, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for sharing so openly. I really, truly do appreciate it. And please, just keep doing what you're doing because it's awesome and inspiring to watch. Thank you so much, John. Yes, yes, yes. That was a lot of fun. I really, really, truly enjoyed that. And I'm excited to get back into 2018 and just pushing ahead with this and enjoying it. This was the first conversation, actually, I got to have this year, and I can't wait for the next hundred or so that I get to do throughout the year. But what I like more than this first conversation in the year is this part, this part in the show where I get to go back. I get to take you back with me. We're going to go back through the conversation. We're going to find that one thing that Aviv said. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Let's find the hack. And I have a, a ritual with my son, who is now the CEO of his own <laughs> early stage company. And we meet every week on Sunday and we talk about his business and, and we then talk about my business and, and he holds me accountable and, and we go through the list and we determine some of the important actions and activities I need to engage in. And that's the hack. 
Aviv, Aviv, Aviv. I love this. This is, this to me is, fits so perfectly with the new year. Accountability. So Aviv has managed to create a Sunday ritual with his son, who is also the CEO of his own company now, where they sit down and they go through what each other needs to do, what each other has done in the past week and what they need to accomplish moving forward, sort of the short-term, medium-term, long-term benefits. And then they're held accountable. You need this. I don't care what stage you're at in your business, in your life right now, but we all need accountability. I luckily found accountability through my mastermind group, just three of us, and we're heading into our third year coming this March. Every single week, and at least once we meet in person somewhere in the world. But every single week we talk and all throughout the day, we sort of chat and follow up on each other to push each other to new heights and places you want to be. This act of accountability, no matter who it is or where it is, Aviv uses his son, I use two friends that I've met on a trip, can be found anywhere. You can find them online. These don't have to be people you've even met in real life. They can be people that you've met online and reach out, right? There's, there's groups everywhere. There's forums everywhere where you can find people wanting to do what you want to do. And then it's a matter of building a relationship and keeping it. This accountability is essential. It's not just a thing you add on to it, like add on to your successes. This is the thing that drives success. No matter if it's a health goal you have, a personal finance goal, or starting a business goal, or taking your business from one to a hundred. It's absolutely essential that you find this and you push for it. I love that Aviva's found it. I love that I've found it and I want you to find it. If you don't have this, remember, as I said at the beginning, it's the beginning of a year. You should have goals where you want to be at this time next year or in three months or in six months or in nine months. If you have nobody else, or if you just want to share it with somebody else and be held somewhat accountable, drop me an email, john at Hack the Entrepreneur. I'd love to hear what you have going. Aviv, thank you so very much.